listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. All right, Jeff. So last time we talked, you took us sort of deep into your thought patterns on what you call the BSFPS, which is really this real, real deep dive on why professional services firms tend to be dysfunctional and how that manifests itself in the real problems it creates for firms that want to reach their full growth potential. And of course, then I cut us off and said, we're out of time and pushed us into this today. So, so my goal today is to talk about what do we do about it? You know, so if these, if this is the dysfunctional layer of this firm and we, and, and you broke this down into two parts, you know, that there's, there's structural dimensions of dysfunctionality, things that just inherently the way a firm has to be organized sometimes or is organized other times creates issues. And then just the human dynamics of any company, but then there's also some unique human dynamics of a lot of firms as well. But you also pointed out there's a lot of other names for this. So you call it the BSFPS, but others call it what? I don't know. What what do they call it? I, I didn't know there was other names for this. Oh, there there are great names. And I would love if listeners have a different name, send me an email because I would love to <laughs> To my collecting a list. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny, many of these names have come to me either from working in firms, and I won't share which name goes with which firm, but they have come to me through partners that have pulled me aside or over drinks, shared their dissatisfaction with how their firm functions. And when I started hearing all these different monikers, it just got me thinking, and I don't even know how I landed on the BS of PS, but it's where I am. But here's how you know if your firm has this problem running through it. All right. We've all heard of our culture is up or out. That could be healthy. That could be unhealthy. How you look at up or out will tell you something about which one of that it falls into. The other interesting thing about that uh, on the upper out is how many firms say they have a culture of upper out, but there's not really that many outs. <laughs> that could be, and, and that could be just as dysfunctional. Yeah. Because a healthy culture should be a crucible where you're yeah. burning off, you know, the unwanted characteristics of individuals or of the culture. So okay. I, I think that's, if you're not up and out to some degree, then you're probably not healthy. And that's why I say it could be both. But if you're all up or out and try to get you up and out as fast as possible and just kick you out the door and take pride in keeping the people that work a hundred hours a week and they survived the hundred hours and family wasn't important to them. So they're willing to do that. That's not a healthy culture. Yeah. So up or out could be either way. But that's a a very common one. Dog eat dog is another popular one. I think that reflects that inter-resource allocation of practice versus practice. But if you have a dog eat dog moniker, you have BS and PS. You get the BS and PS. A caste system. Those people that are in and those that are Mm. out. Those that are part of the old boys network. You probably have a BS and PS. If you describe your firm as one of a culture of optionality, we talked about that on the last call. There are firms that refer to their culture as culture of optionality. They actually say that. They actually say yes. that's, and do they say that's a good thing? No, it's a bad thing. Okay. I, I thought you were implying that they- That we have consensus, but we really don't. 
Yeah. Survival of the Fittest, which goes back to the upper out. But that is, you know, life is brutish and short (laughs) in our firm. One of my most disturbing ones that I heard was, we eat our young. (laughs) And that speaks to two of the, the major issues that we spoke about last time, fear of failure. So you look for a scapegoat and, you know, we don't want to admit we're wrong. So we'll blame somebody else. We'll sacrifice. We'll sacrifice them. So those are those are some of the names. There's many others. But those those are the things that you'll see. Those all tend to be somewhat testosterone laden. But you can have passive BSPS as well monikers, you know, non-confrontational, we all get along. Those are our other So, so in a way you're here. saying, you know, if I'm new to a firm, I'm a up and coming future partner or whatever, I just joined this firm and I, I'm not really sure what I got into yet. If I start hearing some of these phrases, I should be a little bit concerned. I should be a little bit cautious. Go, wait, what's going on here? Is that what you're trying yes. to say? Okay. All right. So the, and these are all evidence of just dysfunctionality, that, that there's some inherent dysfunctionality in the firm that is going to limit our ability to grow, to meet our full potential. Oh, the dysfunction is going to be there. Yeah. These monikers are a reflection of its magnitude. Oh, OK. So, so the, the dysfunctionality is, is, is always there, you're saying? Yes. Just how big is the problem and how much is it limiting the firm's potential? Yes. Okay. So it's the degree. And when the and when these things are coming out, that means it's extreme. It's it's a major problem, which is yes. kind of obvious, I guess. If someone said to me, we eat our young, I think I would probably <laughs> think it's time to make a move. <laughs> Unless you were a senior hire. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. So what do we do about this? I mean, if I'm the well, first off, maybe that's the first question is who can deal with this problem? Can, can the the marketing leader attack this issue head on, or does it have to come from the top? leader in the firm? This is a leadership issue. Okay. It's not a, a values poster issue. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Time out. Totally agree with the comment, but that's that's implying that the marketing person is only interested in making values posters, right? <laughs> oh, did did I say that? I didn't mean that. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I don't think you mean that. But. but most firms look to marketing for their internal brand and communicating that. And that often is how values are disseminated, wall posters or listed on, you know, the website. Because that's easy, right? That's a path of least resistance. Yeah. But this is very much a leadership issue. And as a matter of fact, if we take a step back and we look at the two causes of structural and humanness, those are also the solution. So let's take a look at the humanness point first. It's a leadership issue because leaders create culture and leaders create culture not based on what they're necessarily rewarded to do, but they create a culture based on who they are as individuals. And the culture that starts with their teams manifests their worldview and who they are as an individual. That's why these human issues around fear create so many dysfunctional issues. So firms need leaders 
And I would say they need prudent leaders that live for something greater than hitting a number, getting a partner tile or a corner office, that they see human interactions, whether that's with clients or their employees or the broader community as an opportunity to impact lives. And it's not that they have to become, you know, psychologists or a priest or, (laughs) you know, some kind of management gurus, but that they have to unleash the positiveness in other human beings. They have to lead and they have to be willing to take the risk of stepping out as leaders and helping the firm and their teams and their individuals become who they're capable of of becoming and not be so consumed with their own success. Because when we become too consumed with our own success, that's when we begin to eat our young and, and sacrifice others for our own gain. I guess my question is, I, I'm trying to think through my experiences and I feel, am I an outlier? I feel like I interact with more leaders that meet the characteristics of what you're describing and far fewer leaders that don't. So it's the, it's the rare exception where I see a leader that is more interested in their own success and less interested in everything you're describing. You know, does that mean I'm, I'm experiencing, I'm living in a weird bubble or, you definitely live in a weird bubble. <laughs> that's for many reasons, but, but that's... <laughs> no. And, and yes, you might live in a weird bubble because Rattleback as a firm has that value. Therefore, you are attracted to clients okay. who share that value. So you may have a disproportionate representation in your sample size as a result. Yeah, that's why I asked the question, because as you're saying this to me, I'm thinking to myself, I don't see how this is going to change the issue because that's what I see most of my clients have. And I would say that I do have some clients that are not meeting their full growth potential and they know that and they're frustrated by it, right? So changing their behavior as leaders is not going to change much because their their behavior is already good, in my opinion, um, at least based on what I see. Okay. Yes, but it can always be better. True. And I have a set of questions and I won't go into those now, but there are a set of questions that prudent firms and prudent leaders ask themselves around the firm's driving philosophy. And that part is somewhat easier, but it's the individual questions that leaders ask themselves about, are they becoming who they were meant to be in the firm? Can they become who they were meant to be in the firm? What is happening with our employees and asking those similar questions of their employees? That takes that directional, a positive direction and amplifies it. And I have a series of questions that that leaders should be asking themselves on a regular basis around their leadership style and what they're ultimately trying to achieve. So when we're talking about the BS of PS and we're talking about the dysfunctionality of the firm that blocks our ability to meet our greatest potential growth and other desired outcomes, 
And now we're talking about the solution. So are we saying that the solution is to develop better leaders, to be better leaders and develop? Is that sort of the solution to get optimal growth? It's part of it. Okay. So let's, let's hear the rest of the story. So I said the, the causes are human and structural. Okay. Well, matrix systems can be incredibly dysfunctional. I believe there is no better structure to amplify the positive performance of a leader because of the multiple interactions, whether it's a direct line or dotted line across that matrix, positive leadership amplifies very quickly through a very human-based organization like a professional service. Is that because the leader is interacting with more diverse people in the firm and then the leader's behaviors get amplified faster? Is that the... Yes. Okay. Yes. It amplifies positively. It amplifies negatively. Negatively, But because of that crossroads of those three and, you know, sometimes more dimensions, you can have a positive impact more quickly. But within the, the, at the convergence of that structural and human dimensions, I think the top firms that are overcoming these roadblocks to dysfunction or at least minimizing them do several things. The first thing is they focus on a few performance indicators. Okay. But they don't measure just the quantitative outcome or result. They look at how that result is achieved. So they're willing to learn and change and adapt as leaders and followers in how we go about achieving the outcome for the firm. Second, and we've talked about this several times already, because of the insecurities that exist in these high performers, the best firms, the prudent firms, don't punish failure. They reward learning. In healthy firms that are overcoming this dysfunction, failure is is accepted. And there are parameters about what good failing looks like, but it's always driven towards learning and growing in performance for the individuals, for the team leader, and the firm. Third, the the firm sets very clear expectations around the culture, not platitudes, but everybody knows how you get hired and everybody knows how you get fired and they self-police and they have those difficult conversations with one another about behaviors. And it's just not correcting people, but rewarding positive behaviors. But it's done within the context of stewardship for the firm and the well-being of the team and the individual. And they take the matrix structure and they use that to their advantage. They very clearly delineate who has responsibility ultimately for certain functions or roles or responsibilities. Who owns a client relationship? Who owns product development? Who owns distribution? Who owns client service? Who owns recruiting? Whatever that those functional capabilities are, 
and they just engineer the friction out of the system. Instead of leaving them open to interpretation, they define them strategically so that they're not wasting time and energy, political capital and effort trying to answer the questions that drive growth. Most firms just let those kind of language because it's path of least resistance. (laughs) And it's so much easier to just put that practice's name up on the website or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So as you're talking, I'm having this really random left field voice in my head telling me something to say, and I want to share it. Have you ever heard of the company General Magic? Mm -mm. No. You ever heard of the iPhone? Yes. (laughs) Did you know that the company General Magic essentially created the iPhone in all its glory in 1990? I mean, I'm getting a little history lesson. Keep going. Basically, everything that we think of as the iPhone. So basically, the ability to to text people and deliver, you know, memes and such like that. The ability to access email. The ability to make phone calls. The ability to access the the the, the, the internet. At least the internet at its stage in the early '90s. So General Magic was this company that fell out of Apple. There was this futurist guy there. So if you think about your roles in the roles of a, of a, of a marketing function, he would be the visionary. And he, this guy goes around the company and, and starts collecting all this input into what the future of technology looks like post-computers, post-Mac. And he conjures up this idea of this you know, pocket device that's basically a smartphone. And they figure out that they can't build it without an ecosystem. So he convinces Apple to let him leave, spin this thing off, and he cuts a deal with Sony and AT&T and a couple other partners to basically build what is the the first generation smartphone in the early 90s. Anyway, they go on this five-year journey trying to create this product, and they have a lot of roadblocks along the way. Most of them, there's all these reasons, but of course, the thing fails, as you well know, because we didn't see a smartphone until what, 2005? I don't remember when the iPhone finally hit the market. But the the reason I'm sharing the story is what, it, what what strikes me as so interesting is that the culture of Silicon Valley rewards this in a tremendous way, right? All the people that that fall out of general magic become the visionaries and the entrepreneurs. A lot of them roll back into Apple. So some of the guys that worked on this work go back into Apple and ultimately become key product people that help launch next generation products, ultimately the iPod and the iPhone and all those types of things. Some of them spin off and end up at Microsoft. I remember there was a guy that basically falls out of there, gets frustrated and ends up at Microsoft and becomes one of the key architects of ultimately Windows and the core OS. And it just strikes me, the reason I'm sharing this really random story out of left field is it just strikes me that there's a culture that is Silicon Valley and tech companies that is almost the opposite of the culture that we see and describe and feel in these firms. And it also feels like like Silicon Valley culture is like the culture of tomorrow and the culture of these firms is the culture of yesterday and that they're struggling. And I, and I, and I, I would make the argument, like when we talk about talent and we talk about how firms get the best of the best, I think they're starting to lose 
Google's getting the best of the best. Apple's getting the best of the best. Uber, Tesla, they're getting the best of the best. They're beating McKinsey. I'm fairly confident of that. I don't know if McKinsey would say it, and I don't know if we would see it, but they are. And the reason I'm saying all this, what I love about what you're saying in the BSFPS is it feels so much to me like you're describing a roadmap for these firms to act and behave and operate more like their Silicon Valley brethren have since the 70s. And of course, those Silicon Valley companies are taking over the world in a lot of ways, right? Or at least the, the, the ethos of that type of company is, is really changing the fundamental dynamics of the global economy. And they have been for 30 years. Totally random comment. I totally realized that. It took us way off course. but I don't think you um, took us off course at all. And we've talked about, you know, SaaS companies, you know, devouring the professional services industry. And I think the best firms have either already dealt with the BS of PS, deal with it on an ongoing basis, yeah, or will get to it very shortly. The firms that try to compete with Silicon Valley, and I've written about this recently, fall short of creating structural and a leadership dynamic that really removes these dysfunctional barriers and they're recruiting, you see it more based on kind of contemporary identity politics, diversity initiatives, or they promote an employer brand of, of some kind. It's incomplete. It's, it's not getting to the heart of the humanness that comes into these organizations and is negatively impacted by the matrix structure. It falls short. And for them to be successful, they have to go deeper than those types of contemporary business conventions and attack this, this issue. Attack it head on. And we have, we're switching things up and having interviews with some firms that I think are making the right moves in, in this direction coming up in some of our other podcasts. So stay tuned for those. Well, when, when this topic came up, the BS of PS, I, of course, read the white paper. I read the, the, the ebook you wrote. And I even told you when we first started talking, I kind of read it and I was sort of lukewarm. Like, I don't, I don't know if I fully understand the threat that this is you're trying to bring forward here. And the more we've talked about it over the last two episodes, really, I, I love it. And I, I love so much about what you've packed into this story, this idea of there's structural and human dimensions that force the dysfunctionality uh, in these firms and that there are real leadership and structural and cultural solutions to them that if we lean into them, we can really have a lot of success. So I love this model. Definitely worth reading. And I, and I can't wait to hear some of the dialogue that you're all having on our behalf with some really smart leaders around this topic. So thank you for, for sharing it with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.